0: Good morning, and welcome to the Winkler Berchtaler Mennonite Church worship service for June 27, 2021. We're glad you could join us. Pull up your chair, open your Bible, and join us for an hour of worship.
1: to this morning's Winkler-Birchthaler Mennonite Church Worship Service. A special welcome to all guests who have joined our broadcast. We trust that you will experience God this morning as you worship with us and that his blessings will be showered upon us as we worship our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He's the one who has paid the sin debt for all people and who has blotted out the transgressions and pardoned the sin of all believers. Lord, We give you our praise and glory. For an opening passage of scripture, let's turn to Isaiah 44, verses 6 to 8. The heading in my Bible reads, There is no other God. And it reads as follows, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it, as I do. Then let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Then we turn back a chapter to Isaiah 43, and in verses 24b to 26, we read, But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case, that you may be acquitted." What a God we serve, he who has redeemed us from our sin, our rock, our refuge, our ever-present help in a time of trouble. Would you take your bulletins, and we'll turn to the bulletin announcements and uh, the activities and concerns of the church. Uh, Number one, Canada Day office hours. The church office will be open Thursday, July 1st, and closed Friday, July 2nd. Therefore, the bulletin will be printed on Thursday morning, and those who distribute the bulletins are asked to come on Thursday, July 1st, for their bulletins. And those who fold bulletins are asked to come on Thursday morning instead of Friday. Health concerns. Helen Hebert of Tabor Home is now in palliative care. Pray for her family. Jacob J. Dick is at Boundary Trails Health Centre in palliative care. Pray for Anne and the family. Betty Reimer is at Boundary Trails Health Centre with bone cancer, and Peter Penner, wife Eva, is waiting for heart surgery. Please remember these families in prayer. And uh, pray for our missionaries, Preston and Myra Wheeler and family. Shall we pray? Lord God, we approach your throne of grace with thanksgiving and praise. You have told us to cast our cares upon you, And so we place our cares on you, knowing you will take care of us. Where we have erred and sinned, forgive our sin, both individually and corporately as a body. Lord, search our hearts and move and remove all ill intentions. Help us to overcome temptation and deliver us from evil. God, we trust in your perfect trustworthy character, for your mysterious works are beyond our comprehension we pray for every member of this congregation that we would be directed by you to fulfill the very purpose for which you created us and designed us to serve. Lord, we pray for lost souls, that they will be surrounded by Christians that will witness to them, and that these souls will hearken to your voice, be lifted out of their bondage and despair, and into a relationship of love with you. Lord, we pray for the families that are experiencing the valley of death, we pray that you will be the God of comfort, compassion, and peace, and that you would minister to the needs of those families at this very hour. We pray that your healing hand would touch and restore those that are in need of having their health restored. And we thank you for all those that have already experienced healing. God, we pray for our missionaries and their families. Guide them, protect them, and place them in the midst of revival. Give them boldness Courage and perseverance to minister to the unbelieving. Give spiritual wisdom to Preston and Myra for, for the ministry to which you have called them. Lord, we pray for those in authority over us the leaders, elected officials, bureaucrats, judges, and the, judicial, and the judicial system. We pray for the salvation of these people and we pray that they would govern and rule in a way that would bring blessing to our nation. We pray for those who are anxious and fearful. Guide them to a place of perfect peace. Lord, we pray for our pastors and their families. Protect them, direct their paths, and help them to carry out your vision for us as a body of believers. We thank you for all the talents you have placed in our body and thank you for the willingness to serve in this morning's worship service. We ask your blessing on them. Anoint your servant, Pastor Victor, to share the truth of your word this morning. And we pray that we would have our eyes open to these truths. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
2: we
3: morning boys and girls happy summer to you do you ever wonder just how wide how deep and how big God's love for us really is today's story is about a boy his parents and the absolute wonder and amazement of God's creation and his great love for us From the vast expanse of the ocean to the highest heights of the mountains, Max Lucado takes us on a journey of delight and wonderment as he demonstrates how creation is an expression of our Creator's love for us, of the unmatched love God has for each of us. Listen to this heartwarming story about our God whose love never ends. The Boy and the Ocean By Max Lucado The Boy and the Ocean The little boy rolled over in his bed and opened his eyes. Through his window, he could see the ocean. Big and blue, rolling waves, water crashing on the beach. The little boy stood at the window and searched for the end of the ocean. He couldn't see it. He could see the ships on it. He could see the birds above it. He could see the horizon stretched across it, but the little boy couldn't see the end of it. He couldn't see the end of the ocean. Would you like to play in the ocean? His mother asked. The little boy stood on the edge of the water with his mother. She took his hand and they waded into the surf. When the water covered his feet, he looked up at her. When it reached his knees, he took a breath And squeezed her hand. When the wave rushed against his chest, she laughed. He did, too. The two sat in the sand and let the waves splash around them. God's love is like the ocean, my little boy, she said. It's always here. It's always deep. It never ends. God's love is special. The little boy spent the day playing near the ocean He counted starfish, he built sandcastles, he searched for shells, but most of all, he watched the ocean. He could see the clouds above it, he could feel the tide within it, he could taste the salt inside it, but he could never see the end of it. He could never see the end of the ocean. That night, as the moon Light stretched across the sea and landed on his face. He listened to the waves slap, slap, slap against the sand. Go to sleep, my little boy, his mother whispered. The ocean will not leave. The ocean will not change. The ocean is like God's love. Always here, always deep, it never ends. God's love is special. And so the boy slept with the sound of the ocean in his ears. The next day, the little boy looked out a different window at the mountains, high and tall, white-tipped, touching the clouds. The little boy looked from side to side to see the end of the mountains. He couldn't see it. He could see the trees growing among them, He could see the snow glistening on top of them. He could see the birds flying around them. But he couldn't see the end of the mountains. Would you like to hike the mountains, his father asked. He took the boy's hand, and together they started up the mountain trail. When the leaves scattered over the boy's feet, he looked up at his father. When the wind shook the tall trees, he took a breath and squeezed his father's hand. When they looked over the great valley, the father smiled. The boy did too. The two sat on a rock and looked around them. God's love is like the mountains, my little boy, the father said. It's always here. It's always big. It never ends. God's love is special. The two spent the day playing in the mountains. The boy splashed in the creek. He picked flowers in the meadow. He listened to the singing birds. But most of all, he looked at the mountains. He could see the sky above them. He could feel the wind blow through them. He could hear the water that bubbled between them. But he could never see the end of them. He could never see the end of the mountains." That night, as the moon appeared from behind the peaks, the boy thought of the mountains and smiled. Go to sleep, my little boy, his father whispered. The mountains will not leave. The mountains will not change. The mountains are like God's love, always here, always tall. It never ends. God's love is special. And so the boy slept with thoughts of mountains in his dreams. The next day he ran on the beach and swam in the river. He chased his puppy up the mountain trail and looked for flowers. When the day ended, he and his parents lay on the grass and looked at the night sky. Stars everywhere, twinkling, shimmering, diamonds in the dark. He looked as far as he could to see the end of the sky. He couldn't see it. He could see the moon, yellow and round. He could see clouds, puffy and fat. He saw a star race from one side of the sky to the other. But he couldn't see the end of the sky. Would you like to count the stars? His mother and father asked. So they tried. A dozen over there, two dozen over there. There were too many. When he reached a hundred, the boy looked up at his mother When the wind turned chilly, his father held him close. His parents looked up into the big sky and became quiet. So did he, for a while. But then the boy spoke. God's love is like the night sky, he told them. It's always here. It's always big. It never ends. God's love is special. The boy, the mother, and the father stayed for a long, long time. Near the ocean, close to the mountains, beneath the sky, surrounded by God's love. And they smiled. God loves us unconditionally. That means he will never stop loving us. He will always love us, even when we make mistakes. So, this summer, if you get a chance to explore the ocean the mountains, or look at the sky, I want you to remember God's amazing love for you. God will never leave you. God does not change. God's love is always here, is always deep. It never ends. God's love is special. The Bible verse for today is from Ephesians 3, verse 18, from the New Living Translation. It says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for loving us with your unconditional love, that no matter what we do, you will always love us. Thank you for showing us your love through the beautiful world you created for us to enjoy. Thank you also for sending us your Son, Jesus, your ultimate gift of love to us to save us from our sins. Father, I also pray for your hand of protection and safety on each child for this summer and instill in them the power of your great love for them. Amen.
4: This morning's scripture reading comes to us out of the book of 1 Corinthians, and it also comes to us out of the book of Romans, starting with First Corinthians. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our scripture reading thus far.
0: Well, good morning. It's good to be here again and to be with you again in the uh, closing of 1 Corinthians. I know we did that a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I guess I kind of thought that would be it, but uh, I was left thinking, really I didn't answer one question, and that's how do we, how do we finish this? And so that's what, that's what this sermon is about today. So, as I said, a couple of weeks ago, we did finish our First Corinthians series with a look at Paul's parting instructions to the church in Corinth. Uh, without their fa- founding fathers present and continuing to live in the pagan society from which they were saved, the Corinthian church needed guidance for their spiritual survival. As the NIV translates it, it says this way, uh, verses 13 and 14 of that chapter, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. I used several examples last time from the Old Testament to define what that means for us. Like Ezekiel was a watchman for Israel, we should be on guard against our enemies. And I suggested that probably the greatest threat we face is false teaching. What I did not say and should have added Is that like Ezekiel, we too should sound the alarm when we encounter false teaching. Saying nothing is not being a watchman, it's not being on guard, it's simply being an observer. Jehoshaphat, king of Israel, sorry, king of Judah, was our example of stand firm in the faith. He and his army simply took their positions and stood against their enemies. And then they watched as God defeated them. So, likewise, we too must stand against the enemies of God, which are described for us in Ephesians like this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So our enemy is not people, our enemy is the power, uh, are the powers of darkness. And we do not need to fight these powers, but rather we need to take our positions and stand. The battle is the Lord's. Then finally we looked at the words of Joshua chapter 1, which explained for us uh, the, the words in uh, 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen: Be men of courage, be strong. And like Moses said to Israel in Deuteronomy 31.7, and like God said to Joshua in Joshua 1.6 and 1.9, be strong and courageous. We too must go out in strength and with courage to face what looks like an insurmountable challenge. Standing firm in faith while the powers of darkness rage around us. Those passages helped us understand 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen. What I did not elaborate on a couple of weeks ago was verse 14, do everything in love. This is what I want to focus on this morning, particularly as it relates to verse 13. So how do we carry out verse 13 in light of verse 14? How do I guard against false teaching... Without assaulting my brother? How do I stand firm in faith uh, as I love those before whom I defend my faith? How can we be strong and courageous and love those who oppose us? I'll try to answer those questions. But before I do that, I would like to show us from which position we take up that challenge. What gives us the confidence to carry out that command, to be on guard, to stand firm in the faith, to be men of courage, be strong, and then to do it in love? Here are some reasons why we can obey this command with confidence. Number one, we are chosen. You probably remember uh, from John 15:16, Jesus said, "You did not choose me, but I chose you. We're chosen." Chosen people, we are the ones for whom Christ died, Romans 5.10. We are reconciled to God the Father. We're forgiven, Colossians one we We've been born again, 1 Peter one twenty three. We are the children of God, John 1.12. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians one twenty two. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. We are enrolled in heaven in the assembly of the firstborn, Hebrews twelve twenty-three, and our names are written in the book of life, life. Luke ten verse twenty. And then finally, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's from Romans eight thirty-one. So that's not my description; that is God's description of who we are. And not only that, our heavenly Father has equipped us with battle gear so that we are able to stand in the day of evil. That when the battle is done and the dust settles, we are still standing. Let me read that passage for you from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 15. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So given our position in Christ, and that we are equipped with the armor of God, God has done his part to prepare us for the task of standing on truth in love. Our part would be to saturate ourselves in the Word of God, to believe it and to obey what we understand. The last time I preached, I offered as examples uh, sorry I, yes, I offered as examples of things to be on guard against, some of the false teachings that portions of the church have accepted as truth. And I'll say some of them again. The lie that the, the Bible is not completely trustworthy. The lie that Jesus is not the only way to God. The lie that people are basically good and the Christian life is about self-improvement. The lie that marriage is not restricted to one man and one woman for life. The lie that it's okay to kill babies and people who don't want to live anymore. The lie that a boy can be a girl or a girl can be a boy. And the lie that if you don't forgive someone, it's not a big deal. And then finally, the lie that there is no conscious eternal torment for those who refuse to believe God. Now, as I read these, I'm sure that most of us recognize some issues here where we have disagreed, uh, disagreed with someone in conversation. And we tried to make our case for what is true, uh, for what, what the Bible teaches If you can recall such a conversation, how did that go? Was love part of that equation? Or did frustration and anger set in and overtake you? Sadly, we are often satisfied to allow the relationship to suffer. So why do those disagreements often end so badly? Well, there are several reasons, and here are some. One contributing factor is that we don't always have the answers. I know what I believe, but I don't know why. I can't give you the reasons. And if, that's, if we run into that scenario, then probably we'll get defensive and resort to emotional reactions. Another is that we can't present our case in a convincing manner. I know what I believe, but I don't know how to say it. So again, we'll probably get defensive once we get challenged and our our responses uh, become emotional. Another is that we've not succeeded in changing the other person's mind. We might have presented a good case, but the other person still insists that he's not changing his mind, and we're left... Flabbergasted because we don't understand why that person wouldn't now want to be a believer because we did such a good job of explaining it. It upsets us. And another reason that disagreements go badly is that we are passionate about our position, and instead of steering our responses with truth and reason, we allow passion to steer us, and our emotions take over. And suddenly we're as mad as hornets and we say things that end conversations rather than continue them. All of these factors that contribute to discussions going badly are things that I have had to learn to work against. I have had to learn why I believe what I believe. I've had to learn how to articulate my beliefs. I've learned that I cannot change anyone's mind about anything. And I've learned to keep my cool. These are things that all of us can learn. So, back to the question. How do we stand guard against falsehood and do everything in love? How do I show love while I stick to what is true? Well, Paul Uh, At least twice goes on at length to describe how to love our fellow believers. One of those is in Romans chapter 12, and the other is in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Since we're in Corinthians, I'll use that passage and I'll read from it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 Love is patient and kind. Hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. How often are we impatient, unkind, envious, boastful, arrogant, and rude when we're trying to win an argument for the truth of the Bible? How often do we become irritable and resentful when the discussion does not go our way? This is not a failure on God's part, and it is not a failure of the Bible. The failure belongs to us. If we are not well anchored in Scripture, we will be ill-equipped to defend what we believe. It doesn't need to make sense to everyone, but it needs to make sense to ourselves. We need to be convinced of our own arguments, why we believe what we believe. The daily reading of Scripture, thinking about what we've read, and depending on the Holy Spirit, is the only answer to that. Another failure on our part is that often we do not listen well. Well, what does it mean to listen? Listening is not patiently waiting for somebody to finish talking while you're preparing your next attack. Listening is actually taking the time to set aside your own point of view to hear what the other person is saying, to understand that person's view well enough that you are able to articulate back to that person what he meant. Let's say that you were telling me your point of view on some issue. And I could respond by saying, if I understand you correctly, then what I heard was this. And then I would explain what, what I heard from you, how I understood it. Now, if what I said back to you would prompt you to say exactly, then I have truly listened. When you have discussions in areas of disagreement, you must listen to that extent or you're not having a discussion. You're just bickering. Let's look at some examples. Let's say you're having a discussion with a friend about homosexuality. Your friend might insist that homosexual relationships are just as valid as heterosexual relationships. If you start by saying, no, they're not, Then the bickering has begun and the conversation is just about finished. You have not listened to your friend. And your friend feels disrespected because you have not granted him the human dignity of listening to him. That he could share his thoughts about what that means. You may have tried to stand on truth, but you have not loved. Another thing to avoid is accusation. When was the last time someone convinced you of a new way of thinking by accusing you? Never happens, right? Satan is referred to in scripture as the accuser of our brothers, Revelation 12.10. And when Satan appeared before the Lord in the story of Job, he accused God and he accused Job. Accusing is not an activity of God nor can it be an activity of the Christian. Rather than accuse, point to what is true and ask how your friend's thinking aligns with what is true. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the work, to convict people of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment, as it says in John 16, verse 8. Let your friend's own thoughts accuse him as the Holy Spirit reveals truth to him from the truth that you share. Accusing is never an act of love. Another thing we could uh, or should never do is condemn. Truth condemns. All things stand or fall according to their alignment with truth. In John 3, Jesus said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If Jesus did not come to condemn, then we certainly have no business to condemn. Condemning people accomplishes nothing. Condem- condemnation is not our role, it does not enlighten people with truth, and it is not an act of love. So we should. Let me start again. We should not, we do not show love when we bicker, when we accuse, and when we condemn. What could we do instead? Well, I think I've already hinted at it. Listen. Listen till you understand. What you might do instead is ask some questions so that you can gain understanding. You could ask, what do you mean by that? Or, how did you come to that conclusion? And then let your friend talk. Too often we think that we know what the other person means by their statement And yet we've never actually taken the time to test that assumption. Do we actually know what they mean? Let your friend explain himself and then try to retell your friend's explanation back to him so that he can hear that you actually have listened and understand. If you do that, you will preserve the relationship and find increased opportunity to speak into your friend's life. We love people by listening to them. When we do that, we treat them like the people God created them to be. People with a mind to think and a will to choose. At some point, you may want to ask permission to open the scriptures and where we learn our point of view and then ask your friend how he or she interprets the verses that speak to the issue that you're talking about. Our responsibility is to do as Jesus explained to Pilate, to testify to the truth. John 18.37 So, do not bicker, accuse, or condemn, but listen and understand, and then point people to what is true. In our efforts to show love to people who hold views contrary to Scripture, one thing we should not do is agree with our friend's point of view just to be nice, or just so that he won't be, uh, be offended, or just to keep the peace. That would be untruthful and unloving. If we agree with people about things that are not true, we are affirming their false thinking. When our friend's view is contrary to Scripture, we could say, I understand where you're coming from, I see what you mean, but I don't agree with your conclusions because they contradict what I understand from the Bible. And I believe the Bible to be true. So in that way, you can... You can honor your friend by saying, I understand what you're saying, I believe this, and this speaks to me, and so therefore I don't agree with you, right? So you don't have to agree with people to keep the conversation going or to express love. Remember, we show love by trying to understand our friend while at the same time we graciously and firmly disagree with his conclusions that do not fit our point of view. And of course we're assuming that our point of view is that which is based on truth, and we're assuming that these discussions are about spiritual matters. But if we do not show love by listening, then we lose the opportunity to have any input at all. And after we have listened, we have opportunity to go home and to think and to prepare for the next conversation. It is important to remember that other people are as convinced of their positions as you are of yours. Everyone believes that what they believe is true. Did you know that? (laughs) Everyone believes that what they believe is true. Is true. Therefore, we grant others the dignity of personhood by allowing them the right to have their own opinions and choices, by listening to the reasons for their choices, and by asking if they've ever considered thinking a different thought, as we again point them to truth. And then, with gracious words, we explain the truth that we want to impart to them. So whether you're talking to your homosexual sibling, your pro-choice aunt, your transgender niece, your unbelieving cousin, your unforgiving uncle, or your doubting children, love them by listening to them first. And then when opportunity comes, point them toward the truth with kind and gentle words. Now, let's jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. I trust that most of us in our church body are arguing from the same side of the table when it comes to the issue of homosexual practice. Now let's apply this to the current COVID pandemic. I have heard of churches splitting because of contention about the response to the covid pandemic restrictions on one end you have people who are strictly obeying the rules laid out in the government health orders and people do this for different reasons some because they're anxious some are afraid some are just tenacious rule followers some believe that every, believe everything the government is telling them and are acting accordingly others simply want to take the fastest route out of the restrictions, and are ready to do whatever it takes. There are other reasons, I'm sure. On the other end, you have those who don't believe that masks work. Some don't believe that physical distancing works. Others are suspicious of the vaccine for one reason or another. And Some people think that all of this is a charade for governments to implement tighter controls on populations, I'm sure there are many reasons that people do not trust government intentions. Some believe that they have a just cause to resist, and some think it is their duty in a democratic society to resist what they see as illegitimate overreach by the government, and others are just rebels. One thing is obvious to everyone by now. Our responses, our decisions, and our opinions about the COVID pandemic have caused rifts and division among friends and family, and businesses, and churches, communities, and all throughout society. Sometimes the tension in the air is so thick you can cut it with a knife. People are forming opinions and making choices, as each of us has every right to do. The question for us is this, why do I think that others should think like I do? And how will I love those who don't think like I do? When it comes to vehicles, we have preferences. One guy drives a Ford, another guy drives a Chevy. Farmers prefer different brands of equipment. In homes, people have all kinds of different decor with landscaping, restaurants, food, clothing, music, movies, sports teams, all these things we have preferences over. And yet it's not a problem. What is different about our opinions about COVID issues? What makes COVID issues so divisive? I believe it is because we have made COVID issues moral issues. And when I say a moral issue, I mean that we have come to see COVID issues as matters of right and wrong. There are a number of reasons for this. Some see it as a moral issue because they believe everyone should do their part to keep everyone safe. Others see it as a moral issue because we must obey the government Some believe that this pandemic is a moral issue because they see it as an opportunity to test compliance of the masses. Some, uh, still others, believe that this is a moral issue because they link the vaccine to the mark of the beast. Everyone has reasons for the beliefs they hold, and we don't need to make fun of anyone for their beliefs or belittle them or shame them in any way. But that is exactly what is happening. Why should I choose to shame my brother who thinks differently than I do? Will that change his opinion and keep our friendship? Why should I look down on a brother who holds a different point of view about COVID issues? COVID issues are not moral issues. The moral issue here is this. Do we love one another? How do I treat people who disagree with me? So what if my friend decides not to wear a mask and I do? So what if he gets the vaccine and I don't? What does it matter? In a couple of years when we don't talk about COVID anymore... What will our relationships be like? Will we still hold the grudges that we made today? Will I still insist that so-and-so is an idiot because we disagreed? If we want to be on guard against falsehood, if we want to stand firm in faith during COVID, if we want to be courageous and strong then the truth to defend is found in john 13:34 that we love one another as christ loved us the church is undergoing a test are we passing that test brothers and sisters let us not be torn apart Let us be on guard against the false idea that the right response to COVID is more important than the right response to each other. Be on your guard. Let's not let ourselves be torn apart by our opinions about COVID. Stand firm in the faith against the powers of darkness that seek to destroy our church. Be men of courage. And rebuke those who belittle others. Confront, with kind and gentle words, those who shame others for not thinking as they do. Be strong and stand against the mistreatment of people. And uphold our fellowship for the Lord's sake. He is the one who prayed on our behalf that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Let's not work against the Lord, but for him. Let me read again those words from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We do not know what is true about COVID, But we know what is true about the Lord's requirement of us, that we love one another as Christ loved us. COVID will end, but our relationships are eternal. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we bend the knee before you today, recognizing that we have not loved each other well. We have shamed people. We have belittled people. We have mistreated people because they did not think like we do. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would be at work in us to produce what you desire, that we would love one another as Christ loved us. We ask it in his name. Amen.
2: pride, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. All praise to the Father from whom all things come, and all praise to Christ Jesus his only Son, and all praise spirit who makes us one and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are Christians by our love
0: and now this benediction and blessing this is from Galatians chapter 1 grace to you And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And now this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.